Our reading from scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, thank you for that reading, Reverend Stone. Uh, to Mr. Ritchie and to Herb and Reverend Bell, thank you all and the Hornbuckles for being here and facilitating an ongoing time of worship during this vital and important season in the life of the church. Well, it was yesterday afternoon. I was driving home after having officiated at a funeral and graveside, and I got a message from Dr. Longbonds. He said, call me as soon as possible. I think there might have even been an exclamation point. And so I followed up uh, with Dr. Longbonds and heard the news that uh, those in his family were directly and immediately exposed uh, to someone who has tested positive with COVID. And so uh, what that means very practically and very seriously is that our hearts and prayers are with Dr. Longbonds and his family, as they are for many of those that we've even spoken to this week in the congregation who are facing even the threat or the reality of living and facing COVID during this season. What that also meant very practically for me is that I was on deck as of yesterday afternoon to be standing here. Uh, I did confirm what the text, what I thought it was, and uh, I was right on what the text was. And I said, okay, uh, I think I can do that. And uh, what was your approach for Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8? And he said, I've been working really hard all week on a Jungian study analysis and critique of Hansel and Gretel and how it relates to the wilderness themes in the Gospel of Mark. And I said, that sounds fascinating. That's interesting. I think that's great knowing all along that there would be no way I'd be pulling that off between yesterday and this morning. Uh, and so what I have, uh, my friends, is uh, my best effort uh, here to address what I hope is a good and faithful word nonetheless on this important bit, the introduction to Mark's gospel. And so uh, I will admit to you, though, by the time uh, after the funeral and getting home and uh, getting some food and turning around, it was about 7.30 that I opened my computer for the first time to start thinking about this text. So I will be completely honest in telling you that I hope that your night uh, was more restful than mine. I deeply hope that these words can resonate in some way 
I will say that my greatest bit of comfort in all of it was receiving a text message from Reverend Bell, and I, I wrote it down. He sent me a text and said, whatever you do will be fine with me, even if it's a disaster. So, so thank you, and, uh, and we will go forward nonetheless uh, with our passage this morning. I certainly need prayer, and I will ask, will you please join with me in a word of prayer? Father, quiet our hearts, our minds, that we might hear a word from you today from this text from the Gospel of Mark. May my own words that were written in haste in some way still call us to hear an echo of your voice, a voice that is calling out for us to hear your divine word. Prepare us today, ready our hearts, that we might receive and look forward to the life of Christ. And so may these meditations, I pray, and all our collective thoughts bring honor and glory to you. It's in Christ that we pray, in thanksgiving always, even now. Amen. There is an old Jewish story that tells the tale of a rabbi who got into a heap of trouble for criticizing the Roman establishment. You see, he complained about the Romans who created markets only to put prostitutes in them. And he complained about the Roman bridges, noting that they merely served to hasten the collection of taxes. He went on and on about all of the marvels of Rome, only to dismantle and disparage them. As he saw it, all of the triumphs of the time were really only in place in order to put those in charge in places where they could only be richer, lazier, and that much more immoral. As you might have guessed, his complaints were eventually heard. For better or for worse, if, if you talk loud enough and long enough, people will either start to ignore you or they'll eventually start to pay attention. And as you might have guessed, the Roman powers that were didn't take too kindly to this rabbi's sharp criticisms of everything that was Rome. His political jabs had the potential to stir up unrest, and if there was one thing that Rome didn't abide, it was a political troublemaker. And so a judgment was pronounced for the rabbi who despised and denigrated, let him be killed. But not being eager to die for his words, he ran to a cave he removed himself from everyone and everything that he knew and had grown in the habit of criticizing. I guess you could say that it wasn't all bad. After all, as the years passed, Rome didn't really pose a threat to him anymore, and he no longer was forced to see the, the Roman waste and wealth and all that was wanton in his eyes. He lived, quite literally, as a caveman for 13 years. 
miraculously, a a carob tree and a spring of water appeared in the cave, he could be sustained without leaving his cave. For a baker's dozen of years, he studied Torah and lived apart from the world that he had so frequently criticized. All that he principally did for 13 years was study, sleep, and then repeat, until one day someone brought the news that Caesar had died. In other words, it was now safe for him to come out from his hideout His death sentence expired with the death of Caesar. He could finally go home without the fear of being killed by the state. And so he left the desolate place and made his way back to the world that he had once known. Now it's important to remember that his sole action for 13 years was studying Torah all day long. I wonder... What do you think you'd find if you were away from everything for more than a decade? What kind of person would you be upon returning? What would you make of a world that kept moving forward, changing and developing without you? And what would people make of you if you had been gone for years and years on end? Would they even remember you? The story goes that this man saw people plowing and sowing out in their fields. He took notice of how others spent their days working and not reading the Torah all day long. As a result, he quickly and harshly judged their ways of life. This is what the rabbi said upon his return. They set aside eternal life and concerned themselves with the life of the hour. And so the story goes that every place he set his gaze immediately went up in flames. It's a strange story, I know. The caveman rabbi is incensed at the lack of piety everywhere that he looks, and so he begins incinerating everything in sight. And just as everything is going up in flames, a divine voice speaks Literally translated, an echo of a divine voice comes forth and says, Why have you come out to destroy my world? Go back to your cave. And so he went back. And for one year he studied Torah again. He reflected on what he'd said and on what he'd done. And after a year had passed, he heard the echo of a divine voice again. And this time it said, Leave your cave. And so he left. It's as if you can see and imagine the people running into their kitchens, grabbing those tiny fire extinguishers or running for preemptive buckets of water. They remember what had happened only a year ago when the caveman rabbi went on a fiery rampage. But this time, instead of setting flame to the world and decrying others, The story relays that he set out to heal every wounded place. He didn't criticize, chastise, or complain. He didn't provoke or pick a fight. He simply did his best to heal every wounded place that he happened upon. Yet again, his time in isolation had changed him. 
This time he didn't come to destroy and to torch, but instead to mend that which was broken. What I love about this story that I've abbreviated for this morning is that it describes two very different ways of behaving after encountering and staying in a remote and desolate place. Now, when we arrive on the scene of Mark's gospel in chapter 1, it's incredibly crowded. And perhaps it's, it's literary hyperbole, but we read that all the people of Jerusalem were going out to the wilderness to encounter John the Baptist. He was the wild holy man. And what did all the people trekking out to the wilderness find? They found a prophet, like of old, clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, uh, who ate locusts and wild honey. In other words, he was a holy spectacle. And some, no doubt, found him simply bizarre. Others found him wildly compelling. He preached repentance. Simply put, he called for the people of God to turn back to God. Interestingly, though, Mark's first description of John the Baptist plays off of Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, in order to describe the voice that speaks in the wilderness. Make no mistake, this voice that is crying out in the wilderness is an echo of a voice that guided the people of God before in times past. More directly, what we discover in Mark chapter 1 verse 3 is a hearkening back to the Exodus narrative when God led the people out of oppression and suffering to a future of promise and hope. In Exodus, the path of faithfulness took the people into the wilderness. Mark is setting up a new Exodus account of sorts. The point is not to spend too much time reveling at John the Baptist and his nomadic lifestyle, but instead to hear a divine voice in the wilderness that will lead the people of God forward toward hope and promise. And importantly, this divine voice longs to heal every broken place. John announces the way of the Lord that has come near in Jesus Christ. It's not a baby announcement as we find in the other synoptic gospels. Instead, Mark's gospel begins by proclaiming to all the people of Jerusalem that the good news of God has been born into the world and unto the world through the ministry of Jesus. Come and meet him in the wild. He will change everything. It's been said that the first line of the Gospel of Mark gives the whole thing away. The very first sentence of Mark's Gospel is itself a declaration that in Jesus, good news has fully arrived. Note, too, that Mark starts his Gospel by saying, the beginning. Quite intentionally, I think we're drawn back to the start, the very start of Scripture, the book of Genesis also tells us that in the beginning, when the world was chaotic, dark, and wild, that a divine voice of creative love and light broke through it all. Just as we are to pay attention to when God spoke into the wild of the past, so we are to pay attention to God speaking here and now in this wild place. The wilderness is a literary trope for Mark. 
God will be heard precisely in the place that seems desolate and forsaken. As it was in Genesis and Exodus, so it will be here too. The creative goodness and deliverance of God breaks into our midst as Mark's gospel unfolds. Echoing the past, Mark is saying that God is actually coming near to the people again, this time in the divine person of Christ. This is the message and hope that is on the tip of our tongues as the Christmas season draws near. And yet, in this day and age, we are preparing to encounter this message of joy to the world from places of isolation and seclusion. For many of us, we haven't been with the people like we used to be. And for better or worse, our time apart from one another holds the potential to change us, to remake us into someone different. I know that many of you are well past viewing this time away from others as a welcome retreat. I would guess that most of us are longing for the day when we'll be told that it's safe to leave our homes that have become bizarre sorts of caves for us. In time, we'll fully return to being with others without threat, risk, mask, and consequence. The great question is not whether we'll eventually be able to leave our places of restriction and confinement. This pandemic won't last forever. This much is true. The great question is what kind of person you'll be when you return to everyone and everything? Or what kind of church will we be when all is said and done? Will we be more united or more divided? Will we be weaker or stronger? I can't stress enough that the answer to this question is already in the process of being answered even now before we're able to fully come together again. My charge to you is to be honest with how this wilderness of sorts is changing you. What kinds of words, thoughts, and ideas are you feeding on as you spend more and more time away from others? What are you harboring in your heart today? And what ways are you growing and being nurtured How likely are you to fan the flames of anger and blame? With your words and your inner thoughts, are you more likely to bless or belittle, to compliment or to curse? Are you clinging to what is good, longing to help and to heal? What is the content of your emails, the character of your social media posts and phone calls? Are you more likely to break or mend the world around you? Do you battle and spar with others because you think them lesser, weaker, foolish, or less holy? Or do you carry peace, love, forgiveness, good news, and glad tidings with you wherever you go? In reading Mark's gospel in this season of Advent and during a season of pandemic, It seems appropriate for us to focus on what's coming soon, just around the corner, really. I hope you can hear me when I say that a vaccine should not be the only desire of our hearts 
during this season of waiting, longing, and expectation. Know this much to be true. The arrival of God in Christ was and is from the very beginning the word of good news for all people everywhere. Now is the time to prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Let us breathe in the goodness of God, exhaling, exhaling divine goodness wherever we go. Let us remember that God came to heal every wounded place. May we also seek to heal instead of harm. God came to reconcile, to bring peace, and to restore hope to every nook and cranny of creation. May we do the same. A divine voice still speaks today. It still calls and echoes to us. From whatever wilderness you're in, prepare your life, your heart, your actions, your thoughts, and your words for the arrival of Christ who is coming close to us all. I wonder, how will the wilderness change you?